Heavenly Father, be with us today as we go through this day. Be with Dave as you bring us your word. Open our hearts and let us absorb everything that he has to say in, in your truth, Lord. Lord, be with us. Be with Pastor Bob uh, as he brings a message. Lord, thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I thought we'd start this morning in uh, Psalm 19. I do a, a 
a teaching on the law, one of or love, right? Because the law is the the will of God, the perfect will of God, um, and in joining into communion with Him and relationship, it creates obligation. And sometimes we re, re, uh, we state the obligations as the oughts. We ought to do this, right? Um, we ought to uh, have the heart of God in reaching out to others, just as He does, right? Uh, so there, are, we would call that sins of omission. And then there are, of course, sins of commission. And David kind of lists both of them, you know. Um, when I when I look at this psalm, and the reason, so I, I asked Karen to pick the psalm again this morning. She deferred back to me. She said, you pick the psalm. So, so I picked Psalm 19. The reason I, I picked this psalm this morning um, is because I knew it had to do with the revelation of God. The revelation of God... Uh, both in a general sense, in creation, and the revelation of God in a specific sense in His Word. And that, uh, and I, I flipped open my Bible, and, and just probably your Bible does the same thing. It'll put little subtitles over uh, different sections of the Bible. Those subtitles, of course, aren't in there. Some of the Psalms subtitles actually are in the Hebrew, but this one I know is not. And it says, Psalm 19, the works and the Word of God. Word and works. And that what we see is that the Word of God, the heavens, are telling of the glory of God. They proclaim uh, His handiwork. It says, day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And so it's talking about the Word of God. It's talking about the Word of God in creation, and then it's talking about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. So understanding that word leads to work, right? So as, uh, as God declares something, he actually puts um, his creative force behind that and accomplishes a work. And where we're at in John this morning is in John chapter 1, verse 1. Yes. And so I was thinking, gee, where is, where is the word and work of God in I read through John because we're looking at word and work of God. Wait, so are we doing John? We're doing John. Awesome. Okay. Good. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, we finished up Daniel when you were yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought we were doing at least the gospel. <laughs> so, as we get into John's awesome revelation this morning, um, it, it starts out with a uh, discussion of the word and the work. God. And so that's why I picked Psalm 119, because, or Psalm 19, because it is that same kind of declaration that we find in the Old Testament of what we see in the New Testament. So, uh, as the author of Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. What John is doing is nothing new under the sun, but he framed it in a way that people could culturally understand. So, in John's day, these words spoke directly to a problem in that point in history. And that people needed to understand um, who Christ was, and in understanding who he was, come to belief in him. Right? So we understand those are two major themes of John. And when we went through our introduction, we said the major, major theses of John is to know the Christ. His major theses is in John uh, 20, 31, 
Uh, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. So to know him, which is uh, knowledge not just in a head sense, but in a heart sense. So we kind of discussed that last week when I was kind of giving you the ideas of what Gnosticism was about. And the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word Gnosis which is a, a word for knowledge, but it's a kind of experiential knowledge, which is different than a head knowledge. Um, and that what John, one of the things that he was writing and why he wrote such an eloquent um, introduction or prologue to uh, the gospel was because he was trying to correct misbelief about God and about Jesus. And so we know that John is, is concerned about knowledge, we know he's concerned about belief, and that, that that should result in something in your life. It should result in remaining. So I would give you the three key words to John that we're going to see as he unpacks in, an, in a narrative fashion rather than in a pithy saying fashion. He's going to tell us about knowledge, belief, and remaining. No, believe, and remain. <clears throat> the organization of John, which I kind of alluded to um, last week, there's, there's, uh, you could divide John into two uh, major uh, revelations. Um, one we would call, um, <coughs> I guess you would call it the, uh, the book of, of works, and, or the book of Revelation about who Jesus is. And then there's the... Um, I, won't go, I won't go down that road. I'm going to take a different tack. Let's, let's just go ahead and jump right into understanding um, what John has to say. So we're going to take a look at the first 18 verses of John this morning. Um, John writes, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has higher rank than I. For he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. 
but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Tell me what you know about this passage of Scripture. Let's start there, because I bet you a lot of you have heard this before. Or just brand new. <laughs> Tell me what your idea is about this passage of Scripture. Well, people argue about it because Jehovah's Witness will interpret it differently. How did, say it's about Jesus, the word is Jesus. How did Jehovah's Witnesses interpret it differently? Uh, they say, because it's like, and I don't know how exactly, they would say, we would say this is just proof that Jesus is God. So we see that this is a declaration about divinity. Right, and they right. the word was a God. Right, so they take the first verse and they say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. So they stick in a, a definite article there. Pardon? <laughs> which, which, which definite article is it? No, no. Is there a there is one. one. Pardon? She's saying, which one is it? Is there an article in the Well, here's, here's the Greek right here. One, one. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and actually, so this is, this is a definite article right here. Right? So this says... Okay, I know you can all read that. So let me see if I can blow it up. Not that, not that you want to read it. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm that I'm going to be able to blow it up too much. Um, so I'm not going to be able to blow it up too much. But um, basically, this this right here is in the beginning um, was God the word. Or the word, <laughs> and the word was um, with. This is a preposition with God. And again, what you see is you see a definite article here. You see a definite article on logos. You see a definite article on God. Um, and God was uh, the word, right? Or the word was God. So, you don't see a definite article here on God. And what Jehovah's Witnesses say is, well, you have a definite article um, back here, and you have a definite article on logos, the logos, but you don't have a definite, you have a definite article here on the God, but you don't on this one. And, the, and Jehovah's Witnesses would say, no, that's, there actually should be a definite article there. So well, it should that. be, so they should be. Pardon? They, sh- they say, oh, it should be, so yeah. they put it in there. Yeah, so they put it in there. So it's like the difference of A's and the, when you say definite article, you're saying A and the. Right, A and the. So, um, so that, that would be the Greek. And they what they do is they rewrote the New Testament because they had a problem with what this passage was saying. So what is the passage saying? In the beginning was the word. We need to talk about what is the word. What does that mean? Um, And the word was with God. And the word was God. It's actually really deep and hard to understand. Even though John, as a book, is where you start everybody because it's the simplest. It's deep. (laughs) It is deep. It's hard to understand. But the rest of the book is... Very, very 
straightforward. But I would say that he, he actually, there was, um, so he's going to give us a revelation as to who the Christ is. And he wants us to understand that Jesus is the light. He's the door. You know, all the things in the book. Right. So, so he wants us to understand what that means, though. I mean, you can have a door that's not divine. Right? Um, you can have a light that's just a reflection of a true light. You can have a word that's not divine. You can have a word that's not divine. So, the idea, this, this word logos, um, the word, uh, what, is, what does that mean? And, and I guess one of the questions is, what does it mean to us today? And what would it have meant to the people that John wrote to? What does it mean to us today? When you hear, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What does that mean to you? God was self-sufficient, and when He spoke, um, things came into being. I, I didn't hear the first part, but I heard God when He God spoke, was things. God was self-sufficient. Is before the creation of the world, and that uh, it seems that. Uh, so, do you read self-sufficiency into the word? Well, He spoke, so and He was sufficient enough to where when He spoke, that was the word, which was the beginning also. So he spoke creation and also which in um, his son Jesus, right? Which creation would have never happened without Jesus is what that tells me. Right, so we understand that um, word to us they're um, little carriers of meaning, right? Little buckets of meaning. They're, so when we speak, we speak words. Right? But there's an idea behind the words. And so what you're saying is that there was an idea behind God's words and that that idea was so powerful that it actually brought creation uh, about. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Pardon? Well, I'm, I'm just talking with my hands. Right? Oh, okay. Um, so that would people agree that that's what is being communicated here by the word? That this has to do with uh, an actual declaration? I don't know it means Jesus. A couple people. I'll go back well, to I, I meet with a group of girls on uh, Thursday. There's nine of them in there. 13 to 16. We're John. And I was having a hard time explaining this to them. The, the work. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they're... I mean, there's, when you grow up in a, in a Christian home, you just take it as he, he is, he's everything, he's all-encompassing, the word, the, 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 from the beginning, he just is. There's, you don't question what was before, you just know that. Right. The, there's, there's no the, other authority. Right. The foundation of everything is God. Right. In verse 14, the word became flesh. Right, so that's, as we move down, we're going to see that the word actually means more than just a, a spoken utterance. That it actually has to do with uh, kind of what you're alluding to, that there's this foundation behind um, the actual utterance itself. The utterance might be what we physically observe, so when Karen speaks to me about putting my dishes in the dishwasher... <laughs> The idea behind what she has to say 
that she utters to me is that if I'm showing her love, the dishes are already in the dishwasher. That's why we show her love. So, so I understand something about what she actually utters because of the foundation behind it, right? So the the word that when it's translated, the word here logos in the Greek to the people of that day would have meant just that. It would have meant the idea behind or the foundation of. Um, I've actually recently heard it translated vision. Uh, I, missed the, I, missed, I missed the point. What was the definition? So um, what did it mean to them? Well, what did it mean to them? What does it mean to us? Right. So we read it today, and we actually objectify it. We make it an object, the word. But what I would say is that it was more of a foundational principle to the people on that day. In that um, the word, the logos, was uh, the idea behind or the, uh, the heart of um, the meaning of uh, God himself. What's the definition of the word revelation? Uh, why don't you give me a meaning of the word revelation? No, I, I don't know, but we call it the last book of the Bible, Revelation, right. because it's what? So, yeah, but it's a word. It's it's the it's a. It is the logic of creation. Pardon? The logic of creation. Uh, well, that would be logos. But you're you're asking what is the definition for revelation? So, uh, revelation. What? Is there a different Greek word for revelation? Is my question. Yes. Okay, and logos is word. Period. Right? Well, we translate it word because that's. Uh, in usage, so the meaning of words is based on their context, and we have a catalog of context uh, meanings for words that you call a dictionary or a lexicon. And so, when we ask for what something means, a lot of times we'll say, "Well, tell me what it means in a dictionary." That just means that that's one way that it was used in context. And in this case, it's used in a context trying to describe it, a concept in Greek philosophy. Okay, but I'm back to Tasha's uh, 13 to 16 year old girls. Okay? Right. What is the word? What is the word? So what, they want a what, concrete what definition. What them and what does it mean to us? You're, you're going all around this, but I, I don't know what you've said. They are reimposing something. We're, we're trying to define the word, but a word in a sentence can take on many different meanings. Correct. Context. True. In the beginning, and it ends in the beginning, and it literally says, here's where we are. Walks you right back so that the circle is closed, and if you out, then you come to verse 14, and there's an assurance that's right there. Right. So it has to do with uh, a revelation of God, um, and that there is an understanding of okay, so God is transcendent. No, I would say it's a revelation of God, like you're saying, but that isn't the word. That's no. a different Greek word. No, so. the word, the the word logos. Um, actually means it's, it's the basic stuff of life. It, uh, it's a su supreme governing principle of the universe. That's the way they would have understood it in that day. So, <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie The Fifth Element. Um, the Fifth Element is based on... Bruce Willis? Yeah. Oh, really? Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in, in, Greek, in Greek philosophy, which is what... Oh, you really wrote a field. Well, what, what, John, what John was trying to address was errant belief. And the errant belief was, in one form, it was uh, what they called Gnosticism in that day, which was that people had a special revelation about um, how the universe was constructed, what reality was. And their understanding was is that God was separate from um, physical reality. That physical reality was bad and evil. And that God, being pure and good, could not actually join with physical reality. So God either had to get diluted to the point where he could actually touch physical reality, or physical reality had to get perfected to the point that it could touch God. And so Gnosticism was a practice of perfection to actually get to a place where you could come to God. And what John was fighting was this whole belief system that's like, no, that's not what it is. And so he actually used the word from that belief system, which was that they had an idea and, and they had five elements that made up uh, reality. Four elements were physical, earth, wind, fire, and water. And their idea was is that all of physical reality was composed of those four elements. And the, the structure or form, that which um, held everything together, the divine behind it, was this logos, was the mind of the universe. It was a supreme governing principle. And that, um, so if you watch the movie with Bruce Willis, what you find is that that supreme um, element, the fifth element actually became part of physical reality. You don't mean the redhead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Hollywood took and bent uh, this on. idea of Greek philosophy. But I would say that the Greeks bent this idea of Greek philosophy. That's how Gnosticism came about. Right? It was a bending and twisting of these philosophies of men. And what John is doing is he's actually using a word that would have meant one thing to the Greek philosophers, and he's saying, yeah, there is actually a unifying principle of the universe. That is the word. In the beginning was the word, the foundation of all life. And the word was with God. So he's creating a distinction now within the Godhead. He's saying that there within the Godhead, so understanding God to be all that is, there is uh, a mind of God. And then he says, and the word was God himself. Not a God. Not a creation of God. But in fact, God himself. So what you see John creating is he's trying to help communicate to these people that are stuck in this philosophical belief system um, that God could not actually be part of uh, his creation, that he first wants to define who God is, and he wants to explain that God in one person actually has, um, there is a Godhead, that there is a distinction of this, what we would call the mind of God, the supreme governing force. He says, all things came into being through him, that him is referring back to the word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that is, right? Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
So he's trying to help them understand that in the Godhead, this very idea that they have, that there is logic and order and creative force, the supreme governing principle, actually is part of the Godhead. But that this part that is creative can actually interact with man. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So he's introducing another concept for them to, to wrestle with. Um, they would wrestle with this idea of the logos, the, the foundation or the framework of life, and then he wants to introduce this idea of light and dark. That light and dark, and life and non-life, and logos and uh, creation are all somehow tied together. Right? So light and dark, again, is one of those ideas that it's really, it's really weird. Um, think about dark. Right? How do you define darkness? You can only define darkness in the context of light. If you have no light, darkness does not exist. It's light that comes in and overcomes darkness. Darkness can't overcome light. And so he's using this, again, philosophical concept of light and dark to help try and explain who God is and, and the Godhead. And all of this is about a transcendent God. None of this has to do with an imminent God, a God with us. He's just trying to explain, that, okay, there is this God. And this God is the source of life, and we can liken him to like light. And that there is uh, nothing, everything is defined by him. And in fact, when you stand in that pure light, it reveals everything. There is nothing hidden. And that's a scary place if you're trying to hide something. Right? And so when you go to 1 John, he says, you know, if you're, if you're not in the light, if you're hiding in the dark, that's a problem. He, he probably wrote this introduction about the same time that um, he wrote the letters of John. So if I look at, at first, uh, first John, um, he talks about, has a similar type, um, similar type revelation. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And so again, he wants to give this, this idea of uh, the, the transcendent God but imminent God. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that we have seen and heard, or what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, that our joy may be, that our joy, or your joy, may be made complete. This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and there is no darkness uh, in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, he himself is the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John likes to pick these lofty philosophical ideas. I don't know why, because he's a fisherman. Right? Why did he pick these particular really difficult concepts to communicate who God is in a transcendent and an imminent way. Because he's not fishing for fish anymore. That's right. He's fishing for men. 
Yeah, so when you look at who, who actually wrote this, gee, there must be some, some uh, divine interaction with John that's causing him to write things that would be uncharacteristic of a fisherman. Isn't that what they also noticed when, what was it, one part yeah. of the Bible they're telling yeah, them? Yeah, that all the people were saying, wait a minute, these guys are fishermen, listen yeah. to what they're saying. Yeah. They kind of realized there's when, some when they, more to it. When they saw that they were unschooled men, yep. <laughs> they marveled. Yeah. Yes, that's an axe. Uh, and, and, and that's what's going on here. John wrote this, this prologue, this introduction, after he wrote the main portion of the gospel. Because what was happening was is that there was still problems um, knowing who Christ was. So he wanted to make a really clear introduction before he introduces in a narrative form the works of, of Jesus. And so what one of the things that he's going to use as testimony to who Christ is, he's going to bring specific evidences, is the work that Christ did. It's the work of the Father. In fact, if you've seen um, him, you've seen the Father, right? And he's going to say that. He's going to unfold that for us. But there was still a problem, even after the main portion of his gospel got out and that people didn't understand the divinity of Jesus they were still struggling with this how can God become man so what John is doing here is he's trying to create a really clear picture in language that they can understand of a transcendent God so it does say that this is a prologue so it is a prologue yeah. so he actually wrote from two on and then that got distributed and then he added so yeah so from uh, verse 19 on would be the beginning of uh, what his gospel account was as he, as he wrote it initially. Which starts about, so what he wants to do is he wants to help us uh, know and believe, right? Know that Jesus is the Son of God and believe, um, believe that to be true. And in that, we would have eternal life because we would have communion with him. So John is very deliberate in what he's trying to do. And he starts with the testimony of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was the first one that pointed to Jesus and said, that's the guy. I read the scriptures, and that's the one. He was the one that was a voice crying in the wilderness. right? So John's going to start his uh, account of that with John the Baptist in verse 19. But he added this prologue because there was still uh, an, a lack of understanding about how Jesus being Messiah could also be God himself. So first he uses language that they would have understood in that day in arguing with the Gnostics about a transcendent God. They used the fifth element. They used the logos. The mind of God. That which brings order to God's creation. Yeah. You know, I, I think what's so confusing to me is, is it is probably the multiple uses of the word word. How would you put this in, in 20, or the 22nd century, I guess? Yeah. Uh, American English. If you're wanting to if you're wanting to put this these two sentences together, how would you actually put it put it to us? Um, so does anybody have the message? You have the message, right? Yeah. What does the message say? Well, mine is the living Bible. But it says, before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. Yeah. And then he, all, he has always been alive and is himself God. 
He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him, and this life gives light to all mankind. And then it goes on about the darkness. But that's the beginning. So it sounds like they're playing Jesus here instead of worth it. We have a message. Oh, message back here. Well, I'm, I'm bringing up uh, New Living Translation. What does the message say? The Word was first, the Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God, in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was life to live by. The life light blazed out of darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. Yeah, so I'd, everybody's struggling with this. <laughs> Everybody is struggling with this. <laughs> How many people in here have never struggled with who God is? <laughs> I mean, He is not us, right? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. How can, how can we, as creatures, know our Creator? And I think that's why people are struggling. Well, and I've always just looked at, then you go on to verse 14, and it defines the word. And so that's how I have peace with the word. Yes. yes. Well, and, and, and that's where John is going. He actually gives us um, the revelation of the transcendent God as the creator, the, uh, the life giver, um, the... Uh, enlightener of the world, the one who brings um, something beyond just just breath and electrochemical stuff in your brain going on, the one who uh, who it's like if you ever thought about you know meaning like I I expressed earlier how Karen said um, if you love me you would put your dishes in the dishwasher she didn't say it like that she said your dishes are in the sink. <laughs> In, in, a, in a, a brief instant of time because the thought takes place in an instant, right? What she was saying. Well, no, it wasn't that I was in trouble. It was that... Um, no, I'm talking about me. Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, maybe I was in trouble. I'm in trouble. But I understood that it had something to do with a deeper concept. True. That it had to do with something that occurs in communion that we share, and that um, I was dishonoring that. I was taking it, I was devaluing it, right? And we understand that when God expressed his will to us, he said, don't devalue my name, don't devalue my person, don't empty me. Wait, 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 wait a minute, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, when you put the dishes in the sink, yep. you weren't doing that because as an act of hatred or non-love Correct. you were doing that because it was convenient and it didn't mean that much to you okay? well, I, I was doing it when the thought that I would deal with it later well, okay maybe uh, good, good answer but the point is you didn't, you didn't translate or equal, equate that to your love for your wife it's but, different but see that was it, it was actually related to that right so I don't, I don't occupy my home alone. 
I occupy, and the reason it's a home is because Karen and I are there. You know, if it's just a structure over my head, that's what I'm saying. It's more than just the electrochemical, you know, things that are firing in my brain. There's an actual relationship that exists, and that that's what makes that um, a home. And sure enough, in my sloth, or my, uh, I'll deal with this later, it may not be sloth, it may be me trying to be efficient, right? Um, I say, I'm going to do this, but I, I'm actually devaluing that which she has communicated to me, which is that the order in the home is really important. Clutter is really a big deal to her. Clutter means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a deep cleaner, right? So what means something to me is not that the surface is wiped down, but that somebody has taken the time to dig into it, really make it whole and clean, right? So I'm a deep cleaner. She's a declutterer, which is a perfect combination. <laughs> But, but what she's communicated to me is that clutter is important to her, and decluttering is a way that I can show that I love her in that relationship. Now, when she was reminding me about the dishes, she was reminding me about something that we entered into in a covenant. Now, I, in my statement of covenant, I didn't say, yeah, I'll keep the dishes clean. No, that's exactly right. But what I said is that I would honor and love her. Right? That I would put her before all others. What God has done for us is he has put us before others. And that's, this is interesting because God doesn't love equally. He loves uniquely. And so it's not that you're more loved than me or Karen's more loved than me, although I think she probably is. <laughs> but that God loves uniquely. Right? And so that's part of this idea behind the word. That there is something behind creation that makes you special. That um, is deeper than just the chemistry that's firing in your brain. That is the word. And the word was God. So when you say the word was a God, you are devaluing God. You are taking away from him the very thing that John was trying to communicate to us. And that's one of my objections to what they call the Arian heresy. That Jesus is not God. Because John is taking this, granted, the most important verse in this prologue is verse 14. And the word became flesh. Because that expresses the love of God in beyond words could tell. Right? But we need to understand who he is first before we understand that why he becoming flesh is so important. And that's what he's doing here. And he uses concepts that are really hard to get your head around. Light and dark. I remember, I remember uh, or, or something and nothing, right? So I think of, of darkness as like nothing. I remember having an all-night campfire conversation about nothing. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> you could have the same kind of conversation about dark. Right? The absence of God and creation is darkness. What he brings is light. 
There is no creation apart from him. And that's what this is, that's what he's trying to say here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Daniel. Um, it says, uh, in him was light, and the light was the light of men. Um, I was going to ask, uh, what is the light of men? And also for Tim, um, you putting the dishes in the dishwasher, even though you yourself would think that you would get them later, and that's not part of your, um, part of the flying prince of your covenant with your wife. <laughs> you are going out of your way to make her happy, which makes her happy, and lets her know that you love her. Mm-hmm. Which is... <clears throat> so part of it's learning love language, and her love language is a language of service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right now, my love language is a language of sleep. <laughs> the two are kind of in conflict, and i got to overcome this. But, uh, so, the, the, let, let's look at the... And in him was life. So in him, in the word, in the mind of God, in the supreme governing principle of the universe is life. So when God spoke and creation happened, so the work behind the word occurred, that was life. That's incredible. Right? There's, you know, science wants to tell you all sorts of things, but science cannot show you how life came from non-life. Everything that exists came from nothing. And um, that is absolute amazing. That is awesome. And that's what I was looking at in the 19th Psalm. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Creation is witness to um, both the word and the work. And we understand that as life. In him was life. In the word was life. And the life was the light of men. So it takes that which is totally devoid of any revelation, of any illumination um, or enlightenment, and it brings total enlightenment, total illumination uh, to that. It actually, uh, God breathed into humanity the very breath of life. That's what that's telling me. That he shared who he is with us. We are created in his image. And that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. It's not possible for God to be overcome. That's telling us about transcending God. So then, what we see as we move from from verse 5 into verse 6 through 13 is about how... um, this transcendent God didn't stop there. He didn't stop by just winding up the watch and setting it in motion. Right? He, in, in other words, creating everything and then taking a step back and being distant from it. Some would believe that. Some would believe and, and would acknowledge. If you took a poll in the United States and said, how many people believe in God? You would be surprised. It's a very, very, very high number. Very few people are actually atheists would claim no belief in God. They believe in God, but they don't believe in a personal God. They believe in, in a deist way 
that yeah, there's some creative force that I can't explain, something that actually brings life and light, and I can't explain it. Uh, maybe it's the force. Maybe it's the medicuron, whatever they're called, you know, um, medicuron. Uh, so, but they, but they wouldn't acknowledge that that's a personal God, that that means something to them or creates any obligation to them that God does. But that's what we see next. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So even though God went to great effort to make himself known in creation, general revelation, through the prophets, special revelation, people still didn't get it. Even his own people that he gave the prophecy to did not get it. Is he referring to the Jews here? He's referring wasn't to the part Jews. of the prophecy that they wouldn't... Pardon? Would, wasn't part of the prophecy that they wouldn't receive him? Or they wouldn't know him, though? Like that that he would be rejected? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but they should have. If they were really looking for God, they would have found him. So that's, a, that, that's one of those oughts, right? That's why we feel condemned by the law. Is because um, we ought to have been looking for him. We ought to have been trying to draw near to the source of life. Pardon? Isn't the law a curse anyway? Um, we understand from the performance characteristics of the covenant that there are blessings and curses. The law itself is not a curse. The law is declarative. What does Paul, what does Paul uh, say? About, Paul says something about that, right? Um, that how much greater is this new um, covenant, covenant? How much more glorious is this? If it was really glorious, what was going to um, doom us all? If, if the interpretation of the law, which it, this was the interpretation of those who held the law, the Pharisees, um, and they held it in high regard, um, to the point where the performance of the law was greater than a relationship with God. And God even told him, he said, what, is, what does God desire? What does he say in Micah 6.10? What, what does God desire? Six ten? No, it's not six ten. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Uh, here, six eight. Excuse me. Right. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's what. That's what the Lord requires. Kindness, humbleness, justice. Right? And yet, it got codified into all these different things. Right? So, that was, they, people weren't seeing who God was. We understand that God is loving kindness. He, he told us who he is. He said, the Lord, the Lord. Compassionate, merciful. Displaying loving kindness to generations. Plural, right? That's Exodus. 
chapter 32, verse 25, I think. Um, for some reason, my addresser is not working right this morning. <laughs> but, um, so what, what happened is, is that those who should have known him did not. That's what it says. The world uh, did not know him, and his own did not receive him. But as many, now this is a commentary thrown in after the fact, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So God is not um, exclusive in the sense that he would only accept um, the Jewish nation. You didn't have to become a Jew to have a relationship with God. So that's why I say this is a commentary. This is after the fact, explaining what the result of God becoming human meant. Because those who are children of God are not born uh, of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So he's talking about a kind of um, communal relationship that occurs in the spirit. That we are actually in communion with God through his spirit. That that's a result of a new birth. And John's going to actually tell us about that when he gets to chapter 3. He's going to tell us what this new birth looks like. So this is the, the commentary part. Uh, 12 and 13 is the commentary part. Because he's trying to go from, this is who God is. This transcendent, supreme, uh, governing principle in the universe that is the originator of life can be likened to life, to actually becoming flesh and dwelling among you. The most important verse in this prologue is, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm sure I'm probably out of time, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, what does it mean that he is the only begotten from the Father? So, some would say that um, this idea of uh, begottenness means that God created the Son. I would say that that's not what's meant by the only begotten. Uh, pardon? One and only, unique. One of a kind, unique. There is none other like him. Who, who is there none other like? God himself. And this one that became flesh is unique. There is none other like him. And in that sense, he can make an exclusive claim. He can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. And that's where he's going to start. He's going to say, I am this Jacob's ladder. I am the, the way that bridges heaven and earth. That's what he, the first dialogue is about. is about Christ actually being that bridge between heaven and earth. And that the word becoming flesh and understanding the glory of that as the only begotten, one of a kind, the unique of the Father himself, full of grace and truth, is an incredible declaration about who Christ is. So this brings up a theology question that we can deal with next week or something. Okay. But, um, so if the Son is the, the only begotten of the Father, then God the Father created the Son. Uh, no, I would say that no. the Son coexisted with God in all eternity. 
The word was God. Yeah, I know, but at first it says, it implies that the implication I had from the first part is that Christ was one with the Creator in making all things. Right, so this creative... Uh, How can you be, got, be begotten from somebody else and still have existed? But that's where we would understand begotten in the sense of, I begot my son Michael, and that he is a, he is a progeny of me, correct? Um, that's not what this word begotten means. Oh. It means that there is one that is unique, one of a kind, within the Godhead, who, through whom all things that were created were created. So we agree that the Son was all, the Son and the Father always existed. Yep. That he's eternal in the sense that he existed before all things, and then in fact all things were created through him. Okay. And the begotten word here is what's messing me up. Because yeah. it, it, uh, right. it, and that's it, why I picked on it. And you're saying that that is just saying that that he's unique. That's not what that, that's what the word that more correctly project. translated would would mean. Okay. That right. he is uh, unique, Thank one you. of a kind. So only begotten is one word. We put it into two because we try to express this idea. Um, but he's unique, a unique expression of God. And we don't want to use the idea of modalism when we talk about God. How can God be three persons? Or sometimes it gets expressed as three modes. Well, in this mode, he's a father mode. In this mode, he's a son mode. No, 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 no. They are distinct persons within the Godhead. But they are all of the same substance, of the same essence. And in this sense, that's why this one would be um, unique. Not unique in creation, but unique in uh, person within the Godhead. So John's trying to tell us something about the Trinity, and, and he doesn't have the language to do it. In uh, Genesis 2, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. So we need, I mean, there's a Spirit. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's God. Yes. God created a Jesus, a Christ. Right. Creation. So I right. Mean, Christ spoke uh, right. as, as part of the Godhead. Right. And we know that because we get to other parts of Revelation, uh, like in Colossians, and we understand again that it was through Christ that creation came about. So that means that the word logos is a really apt description in the language of the day for this, this person in the Godhead through whom all creation came about. And that's, that's what John's trying to communicate to us. And I saw a couple hands go up. I was wondering, um, so do you think that that is a better translation when it uses the word begotten? You're reading what? Yeah. I, I, would, I, uh, I always correct it when I go through and, and read it to people that uh, I use unique, one of a kind. Mm -hmm. But like in, uh, in um, well, in the English version, it's uh, as of, it doesn't. As of, so it's being likened. So we're, so again, we're trying to use words that. How do you express a concept that is totally foreign to us? That God is foreign to us, and three persons and one essence is not something that we can really get our head around. We can accept it on faith, but we can think of things 
that are like that, like the only begotten, right? Uh, one of a kind, unique. One and only. One and only. Um, and so we have to use human terms to describe a divine concept. And that's where people get hung up. They think that uh, man defines God, not God defining man, right? So we, you know, we create a God, we need to have language that, that expresses what that creation looks like. And that's not the case. What happens is, is that God created us, and in interacting with us, with his creation, we get uh, an understanding, but it's a partial understanding. We cannot be God. So we can never know him truly as he is. Although we can know his son, who actually came to us and ate with us and slept with us and cried with us and in all ways became fully human such that we can truly know the Son and in knowing Him we can know God but we not we don't become God but we can share in the life of God through the Son real deep concepts here some of us are supposed to go to church yeah sorry yeah I'm, I'm going to get scolded again sorry could you close us in prayer real quick Tim? sure Heavenly Father, we just pause to give you thanks, Lord, for your word, uh, for coming, for being God to us, each and every one of us. Lord, we ask you to bless this day, and your servants here, use us in this church in Jesus' name.